Hey, let me ask you personal question. Uh, do you find it a little more difficult to get your exercise in the winter? Is that intentional or on purpose or just, you know, due to the weather outside? The weather? Yeah? You don't belong to Lifetime or anything like that? Yeah. The reason I uh, ask the question is because your exercise is important. Has your mother ever told you that? I'm serious. In fact, there are many benefits to getting physical exercise. I was doing some research on that this week, and uh, this is what I came up with. Um, did you know that exercise improves brain performance? Raise your hand if you knew that already. Okay, you guys are intelligent and you're listening. It's because cardiovascular exercise helps create new brain cells. Did you know that? I'm reading this because I don't really know it. I just got it on the Internet. Anyway, and we know we can trust the Internet. Um, and new brain cells create more brain power. I don't know how that works exactly, but I do get that. Okay. Did you know that exercise helps sharpen your learning and your memory? Raise your hand if you already knew that. So if you're struggling with memory loss, get your exercise. I'm serious. Okay. Even further, exercise improves your immune system. Did you know that? And, and I, I believe this to absolutely be true. I've, I've trained for some longer um, run, runs or jogs, um, some races, and I can't think of one time that I've gotten sick during the 18-week training. Not one time. So I absolutely believe that when you're in good shape, that it actually helps your immune system. Now, why am I telling you all of this? To give myself a pat on the back? No. No. Um, because in 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, at the onset of the service, we, we talked about this, if you were here on time anyway, you heard it. <laughs> um, it says, train yourself, train yourself, that word train means literally exercise, for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life, but also the life to come, meaning... That physical exercise is important. It's not to suggest it's not. But all the more, if physical exercise is important, all the more, what about your spiritual exercise? For your spiritual exercise, your spiritual training is eternal. It's forever and ever and ever and ever. And that's not something we really can fully grasp or understand. But that much more, it is important. Go with me to 1 Timothy 4. We're going to give your... Um, Fingers uh, exercise here. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to look at all 16 verses of this chapter as we continue in our sermon series. Can you name our sermon series? Moving on to maturity. Moving on to maturity. And that's what this is all about today. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, again in his letter to... Uh, this young pastor in Ephesus, the Apostle Paul writes, from prison instructing him to lead the churches diligently to oppose false teaching. And now we come to this section of Scripture in which he is, he is speaking to him about spiritual training and disciplines. And it's something that certainly will apply to each one of us, not just if you're a pastor or a teacher in the church. Well, starting at verse 6, you ready? Did you get there? 
First uh, Timothy chapter four, verse six. If you put these things before the brothers, that just means the Christians, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of good doctrine that you have followed. We'll get into the detail of that in a minute. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Keep your focus. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, I already read this, but I'm going to read it again. Godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. Listen to it, apply it. That's what that means. The saying is trustworthy. For to this end, we toil and we strive. In, in other words, the Christian life is not easy. There, there's going to be struggles. There's going to be the ups and downs. And there's going to be disciplines necessary. Now, we're going to get into what that means as it relates to the Bible. So stick with me as, as we talk about this toil and striving. Uh, but know that, that Jesus never promised ease and comfort in this life. But there 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 would be commitment. In fact, he tells us to take up our cross. But we'll get into that in a bit. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set in the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. He goes on to say this, Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believer an example and this would be why we need spiritual disciplines, because we're an example of Christ. And, and he says these things specifically. Be an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to the exhortation, to the teaching. Just like we had a Scripture reading today and we're preaching from the Scripture today. Do not neglect the gift you have. Your purpose within the church and, and in your life which was given to you by the prophecy from the council of elders who laid hands on you. Practice these things. Practice, practice, practice. Practice makes what? Practice makes perfect. You know it. Were you basketball players? That's what my coach would always say. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. People, people are watching. They're watching the first step and the second step and the third step and the fourth step. And they're going to see if you're going to go back and then forward or forward all the way and then back four steps, that sort of thing. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. Continue in this. For by so doing, you'll save both yourself and your hero. Now, now there's no way that the Apostle Paul is say, saying you can save yourself by your works. He taught the very opposite. But what does that mean? We'll get to that by the end. So stick with me. Sound good? Okay. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone in which you asked them a question and they answered the question by not answering the question? You know, like they went on and found a rabbit trail, we like to say. And they didn't really answer the question. Maybe they just told you something that was on their mind. Have you ever been in a Bible study and, 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 and you had like Q&A like we do in our home groups where we have a text, a, a scripture text, not a text on your phone, <laughs> a scripture text, and, and you, you, you pour over it and then you have Q&A. You have these question and answering sessions that you go through each one. And maybe you're the leader and you ask the group the question 
and the question was something very, very simple, but then you wanted to expound on a little bit so that, that you could apply it to your life. But you ask the group the question and someone raises their hand and they don't answer the question. They just say something completely not related to the topic. Has that ever happened to you? Yeah, home group leaders are like, every week. I'm kidding. I don't say this to be judgy at all in any way. I say this to say we've all experienced it, have we not? And this is the focus and attention that the Apostle Paul asks this young pastor Timothy to have as they focus on what should be focused on. Keep first, first things first, so to speak. But look at verse 6 again with me. It says the good minister keeps the focus on the, there's two things that it labels, faith and good doctrine. In short, the, the good minister preaches Christ and Him crucified. And, and that's where the focus should always be in the Word of God. Gospel-centered. Not morality-centered or me-centered. Gospel-centered. And this is a struggle, especially in our day. Because you can go to a lot of different churches and hear a lot of different things these days. Like good self-help. Like social justices. Things that are in and of themselves probably pretty good things. And yet, if they're not in Christ Jesus, and what I mean by that is, if the foundation of what is being taught is not Christ first, then we'll miss the whole thing. Because the only power that we possess is in the gospel that Jesus offers us righteousness. Not our own efforts bring us to the righteousness of God, but only in and through Him. So that's where His focus lies. See, there is no justice or peace or social change or revival without Jesus. Why? Because only Jesus has the power to change the heart of mankind. And there will be no change unless we change from within. Another way of saying that is we can change on the outside and say the right things. But unless we change from within, we won't see anything lasting. Now here specifically... He actually is addressing some focus in the Word of God as was happening in the days in which he is teaching him that was, that was deceiving the church, causing them to get carried off into the weeds and, and, and focus on the things that they shouldn't have been focused on. He actually gives us some examples in verses 1 through 4. Hey, go there with me real quick. I'm going to show you what he says and I'm going to give you an example and maybe we'll apply it to something in our day. Let me just read them real quick. Again, the first part of the chapter, he says this. Now the Spirit expressly says, in other words, don't miss this. He makes very, very clear that in later times, some will depart from the faith. Later times is referencing the last days, the end times. Are we living in these days? Well, they began when Christ ascended. And they'll continue until He comes back. So absolutely we are. Are we at the beginning or the middle or the end? That's for God to know and us to just be prepared for His coming. In the later times, some will depart from the faith. Oh, we're seeing that. That's true. And here's how they will do it. Two things. 
by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits, deceptions, and the teachings of demons. Sounds pretty heavy. It is, but it's also pretty clear. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. It means they sin and they sin and they sin to the point that they don't even notice it anymore. And then they lead others astray because misery loves company, does it not? And we all do it. I'm not pointing the finger. We all do this. When we're down, sometimes we're even a little bit irritated that someone is up. He goes on to say, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Two things, a departure from faith because of these things. The first is abstinence. Now, abstinence in itself is not bad, but understand these examples that he gives. He gives or cites two things. Abstinence from certain foods, okay, an abstinence from marriage, which, which certainly relates to certain pleasures in life. By the way, there are many, many religions that teach certain kinds of abstinence, even Christian teachings, that, that teach essentially that abstinence is the way of godliness. And that's how it relates to the text. But if God has gifted us with something... It's not that gift that is wrong, and therefore it would be unbiblical to say that it is better to resist that, that gift that God has. The examples he gives, of course, are really good food and sexual relations. It's not the food and it's not the relationship that's bad. No, those are gifts from God. It's not honoring God in the parameters that He has set in a fallen world. And let me tell you, limits in a fallen world are our best friends. Because a world without limits is a scary, dangerous world where people take advantage of one another and hurt one another. And that's what He is referencing. It's not abstinence that is good. God gives us these gifts. It's not pleasure that's bad. It's dishonoring God's protection and His parameters. Secondly, secondly, the example He gives us is of the, this is pretty heavy, the teachings of demons. Now one could make a lot of what is being said here, but quite simply He's referencing, likely, the very same deceptions that Adam and Eve were deceived in in the garden. I want to remind you what the serpent, the enemy working through a serpent, said to Adam and Eve in the garden. You remember, God said, don't eat of that tree, and then they're tempted to eat of it. And this was the deception. As they 
question God and, and his parameters. Do, do you remember what the serpent says to Eve? You will not surely die. Did God really say that? He questions the word of God. Always questioning the word of God. Always twisting the word of God. You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. Which is just another way of saying, oh, you already know the truth. You can follow your own. Oh, oh, you're like God. You don't need God. You can do it yourself. You're the master of your own domain. You can handle it. You can control things. You don't need anyone telling you to do anything in life. And that right there, that right there is the deception of demons. Meaning that's their doctrine. That's what they believe. And isn't it what the world believes? Is that not our world right there? Follow your own path. You'll be fine. Until you're not. Verse 7 again, back in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Just one word on silly myths. It's likely referencing stories that were taught to interpret Scripture. But the only thing I could come up with that it might relate to in our day that's really general in nature would be like something like if um, I started to teach you and got caught up in the weeds on a teaching like um, we're not going to do any ministry on Friday the 13th because Friday the 13th is bad luck. It'd be something like that. Um, be praying a lot on Friday the 13th because that is a bad day when bad things happen. No, that's just a cultural thing. And then there were movies made about it. And now we all think it. Right? I mean, I do. I remember when there's a Friday the 13th. But we're not going to get caught up in the weeds. We're going to focus on Christ and the cross. That's where he's going with this. Have nothing to do with irreverent and silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. The term godliness comes from the root word that could be translated devotion or piety towards God. So we're speaking about spiritual development. We might use the term being more Christ-like. That's what the sermon series is all, all about. Excuse me, all about growing in maturity in our relationship with God. And just like physical wellness and strength, and how that's built, training and exercise spiritually strengthens who we are. In fact, it's a really good illustration. And, and I want to I speak a little bit to how good an illustration it is or, or, or its symbolism, and yet I want to say this before I do that. It really isn't symbolic. I mean, it's like it is an illustration, and yet what I want you to remember is that it's not mere symbolism because our spiritual life is just as, just as real as our physical life. 
So, so if you remember anything today, just know that. You're mind, body, and soul. And our world has no problem with mind and body. But, but we start to really question the, the whole spiritual side because it seems so, I don't know, distant, unknowing. But no, we are mind, body, and soul. And in fact, what the Apostle Paul is reminding Timothy and us is that anything eternal is of far more importance than that which is temporary. But as an illustration, it's an effective picture because training physically and training spiritually really has, have a lot of similarities, we might say. Um, take, take this one, for example. What you consume matters. I mean, anyone who has ever trained and tried to build muscle, they know that protein and those things, those compounds that break down proteins, if you're not, if you're not consuming those things or if you're just consuming a lot of trash, so to speak, you will never make the gains that you want to make. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? Well, the same is true spiritually speaking. You, you know that, that old song, and maybe some of you are way, way, way too young to remember it, but, oh, be careful, little eyes, what you... Don't make me sing it now. What we consume, what we see, what we take in, in every way, whether it's stuff we see, or the things that we do, matter to our spiritual life. Why? Because those things can distract us. They can take us away from the important things being important. And when it comes to spiritual matters, if we're not feeding upon God's Word daily, just as we need sustenance for our daily life, we will start to fall by the wayside. I can't tell you how many times I've talked with someone and said, They've said, I've really been struggling lately. And then I just asked a simple question, have you been in the Word? Well, no. Why? We, we all do it. Because as we neglect the disciplines, what happens is we get distracted. Here, here's another one that really fits the illustration. Partner up. Um, good exercise advice don't go it alone. Why? Because on days you're not motivated, you need to be motivated, right? That's why team sports are effective. You know, if the coach isn't telling you, you know, to run or go harder or go faster, you might not do it. Partner up. Same is true in our spiritual life. You need this. You need this. You need each other. Raising kids, you, you, you need this. Why? Same reason. There's a reason that Hebrews 10.25 says, don't neglect the fellowship. Why? Because we need each other. And that's true of every aspect of, of our lives and society because there's really nothing, there, there's really no such thing as independence, okay? But it's especially true in our relationship with God. How about this part of the illustration? Breathing. You know how important breathing is to working out? There's a reason why trainers say, no, no, don't, don't breathe that way, breathe this way. You know, you know, exhale when you should inhale, inhale when you should exhale, that sort of thing. They, they watch your breathing. Why? Because you can't make gains without the right, the right breathing. Spiritually speaking, the, the term for Holy Spirit is, is wind or, or breath. And if we're not in step with the Spirit, as Galatians 5.25 tells us to be, 
we will fall by the wayside. We'll fall back. We will be deceived. Keep in step with the Spirit. Reminds me of those old aerobic videos. <laughs> kind of weird, but um, if you're doing those, awesome. <laughs> yeah. So glad. But, but keep in step with the Spirit. Allow the Spirit to guide your next step. Allow the Spirit to guide you. As, as the Spirit and the Word work in our lives, that is what builds growth. Here's the last one I'm going to say. Um, it's muscle, muscle memory. Get your reps. There's another way of saying it. Without reps, you'll not build muscle. You'll not train the brain to be coordinated in the motion in which it needs to be coordinated. In the same way, consistency and daily habits build strength. We all know it, but boy, we struggle with it. Or at least struggle with some of the significance of the depth of it. Psalm 119.11 says, Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's a unique verse, actually. You notice the last part. By the memorization of the Scriptures and hiding it in our heart, understanding it and knowing it and how it is applied to our lives, it causes us to walk a certain direction, avoiding directions we shouldn't avoid. Your Word I've, I've hid in my heart, I've memorized it, I know it, so I know when I come to the crossroad, I'm going to choose the right path. Why? Because I already know the truth. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. You're, you're preparing for what's ahead. Now in saying all of this, and using this as an illustration, it is so incredibly important for us to understand as a church that anytime we talk about efforts and, and giving it our best, and toil and striving, any time that that is brought up, we have to understand it as it relates to the gospel. Again, we're not saved or sanctified by our efforts. And here's why. Our efforts are impure in every way. Even our best efforts at wellness are selfish. And that's, that's what sin is. It's selfishness. It's putting I before everyone else. I before God. And that is not what God is trying to create His church to be. Nor us as individuals. He has a greater purpose in our lives. We're not saved or sanctified by our efforts. Our efforts are impure. Discipline is necessary for growth. But the formation of spiritual maturity is not possible outside of the Holy Spirit. And what He has accomplished through Christ. Maybe think about it this way. The prayer that maybe you have prayed many a time. Lord, I'm going to work harder. I'm going to show up more often. I'm going to do it. And if I don't, well then you can punish me. That prayer is unbiblical. Rather the prayer, Lord Jesus, I can't and I need you. And if you don't do a work in this heart, I am not going to make it to the next step. Lord, Lord, as you work in me, and as I allow you to work, 
giving up the things that so easily take my focus off you, as I allow you to work, I will see growth. Because that's where the power lies. And says this much in verse 10. I say this in closing. Verse 10, 1 Timothy 4. For to this end we toil and we strive. Look up here. Because we have our hope set in the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe, especially of those who put their trust in Him. Remember, belief is faith, and faith is a free gift. It's not something we earn. It's nothing we deserve. The hard work and the striving to be more like Jesus, the taking up our cross and denying ourselves, that surrender to His righteousness within us, not our own. Meaning self-improvement, success, good habits and self-discipline, godliness and righteousness comes by Jesus who saves and sustains and strengthens. We're not accepted by God if we work really hard and have great discipline. No, He first loved us. What's pleasing to God is His Son who accomplished His work for us Church, as we focus our attention on Jesus, that, that's what we, we, in a sense, do. We focus our attention on Jesus as a response to Jesus and His righteousness and His love and His goodness and His grace. This is what draws us to genuine faith in Him. Again, it's a life of response rather than resolve, rather than gritting your teeth. It's a, it's a, it's a life of, of response. Like, 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power, last thing, listen, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's already done it. He's already won the victory. He's, our, he's already accomplished the work. And when you allow Him to do that work in you as you surrender your life, that's where gains come. Would you stand with me as we respond in worship and close our time together? I'm just going to pray, and then we're going to close in worship. Heavenly Father, so grateful for your word and how it encourages us. Lord Jesus, anywhere, anyone here, anyone in an earshot of, of, of what, we are, what we are studying and, and, and what I'm saying here today, I pray that a response would be one of surrender to you as we consider our, our spiritual formation that the gospel would overwhelm us that your love would sustain us and strengthen us see that's what leads to healthy spiritual life healthy life in general so Lord do that work today pray for each one here who's been you know giving their best effort but always coming up short which is every one of us I pray that that we would understand our need for you and, and of course, Lord, that it's not until we allow your work in us that things begin to take shape. So, Lord Jesus, shape and mold us as you would have it. Not our will be done, but yours. Not our will be done, but yours. Lord Jesus, we pray this in your holy and precious name, asking your blessing on what comes next for us. 
as we represent you, Christ, in your kingdom. As we go from here, acknowledging your salvation and living in the truth that you have accomplished that work already for us. We thank you for your free gifts, starting with faith. We thank you for your righteousness. We ask you, Lord Jesus, to continue to do that work as you promised you're faithful to the end. I pray this all in your holy and precious name. Amen.